In this episode, we'll discuss Nike's recent ad campaigns, growth hacking versus the art of the craft, and engaging the right people at the right time. Welcome to Colored by Design. This discussion series looks at design issues through a uniquely biased lens. Our hope is to empower a new breed of creative as they enter into, mature, and navigate through the business world. I'm Corwin, Senior Global Creative Director. And I'm Jesse, Senior Experience Designer. Let's get into it. Good evening. Hey, hey, hey. How are you today, sir? Doing well. How are you? Fantastic. Good to see you. Good to see you. How was your uh, Labor Day? You know, Labor Day was good because here, as you know, it was raining cats and dogs. Yeah. Nice Texas summertime <laughs> torrential downpour. But it was good because you didn't you didn't feel, you could, you didn't really want to go anywhere. Right. You kind of wanted to stay inside. And what was cute is that we watched a movie on Netflix, mm-hmm. and uh, it was to all the boys I loved. Before. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was good. It was a <laughs> little kid chick flick kind of thing. Yeah. But it was it was super cute because now my kids are my son's gonna be fifteen in a minute. Daughter's thirteen. Mm-hmm. We're all laying in the bed together, like yeah. you know, and it was just kind of like a good oh, family moment. Oh, a good family moment. <laughs> And my son is so funny, he came up to me and said, let me spoon you, Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) So it was super fun. That's funny. Super fun. So um, uh, I don't don't remember when I saw this. I might have seen it yesterday. But once again, on Twitter, a site that I love to hate and hate that I love, apparently, (laughs) um, Nike was kind of dropped a bomb um, on all of our timelines um, with their recent uh, Colin Kaepernick ad campaign. And we want to get into that a little bit, but first, um, they've been kind of building momentum up to this with um, the ad they had with Serena Williams after the French Open uh, changed their dress code, largely in response to the cat suit that she wore mm. uh, last year. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know about that one. Yeah. So um, after her, Serena was recovering from her pregnancy and she had some complications and things like that, mm. um, during the French Open, she wanted a way to come back and try and be fierce, is what she said, um, okay. in the middle of everything. Right. And so to her, that's what that cat suit kind of represented, was to trying to come back and be fierce. Nice. Um, and there was also some compression technology in there that Nike, that she worked with Nike to design that would help combat some blood clot issues that she was having um, post-presidency, mm. pro- post-pregnancy, sorry. So um, after that, uh, in the lead up to this year's French Open, the, the French tennis president um, kind of felt that they had gone too far and they wanted to uh, introduce a more restrictive dress code moving forward. Um, and her cat suit specifically was kind of singled out as something that would no longer be um, accepted. And, and and he said, you know, one must respect the game and the place, um, which many people kind of felt that as a direct attack on Serena and trying to police her body. Yeah, so. okay. And, and it's interesting. I noticed that, and I, I, I know that at certain uh, venues, they, it looks like they must ask the, mm-hmm. the players to wear certain things. I think it's Wimbledon. They must ask them to wear all white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at other venues, you can kind of see that they, they seem to have some say in it. Yeah. The yeah. Uh, Wimbledon in particular was something that was kind of brought up as another open uh, where they have a much more restrictive dress code. And so the French uh, tennis president uh, was stating that, you know, they wanted to get a little bit closer to that, maybe not as restrictive to that. Um a lot of the outcry or the backlash against this decision was, you know, uh, generally speaking, you know, the female tennis players will wear skirts and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which, you know, depending on your, or your frame of reference, would be more or less revealing than, you know, this cat suit that covered Serena's entire body but was very form-fitting. And obviously Serena has a very particular form that, you know, a lot of people interpreted the language as being coded against her form specifically, how, like, curvy she is and, and things like that. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think there, it doesn't matter what Serena puts on. You know, she's 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 very. She's gonna look like Serena. She's gonna look like Serena. Yeah. You know, she's got body, and it, it is it's, you know it is what it is. A good look. Yeah. Um, but I think what I would say is that I do appreciate that at least we can all see that the precedent kind of had been set. It wasn't right. like all of a sudden we started commenting about outfits and things. Right. Um, you know what I mean? But it, it it's been that way for a while. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Um, you know, yeah, she's going to push the boundaries and such. But uh, uh, oh, here we go. This Nike ad out here on 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 Twitter. You can take the superhero out of their costume, but you can never take her take away her superpowers. That's cool. Yeah, that's fun. And so you know, there was that controversy that it kind of sprung up, and and Nike's response to that um, here with a "just do it" tagline. Um, so then, kind of fast forward a couple weeks, and we have this. Uh, yesterday, Kaepernick tweeted. Um, what is the tagline for uh, his new uh, deal yeah. that they that they put together? Um, and I, th I think it's the 30th anniversary of the Just Do It campaign. Right. And so, you know, that may be why they've kind of come out so strongly here. But I find it to be really interesting that, you know, well, there's so many different layers to this thing that you can kind of get into. Right, right, right. Um, so the tag for the new... Uh, the tag for Kaepernick's uh, campaign is believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. And I really it's thought huge. that there are, you know, obviously there was a lot of the backlash and people, you know, cutting the Nikes out of their socks and, and burning their shoes, what have you. Um, and then obviously there is the other contingent, what Nike presumes to be the larger contingent of the two who really rallied behind this. We saw Serena tweet her support. We saw LeBron tweet his support. Um, and I think at a meta level, Nike's support of these athletes is really interesting from a market perspective because you know Nike is a corporation, they're a behemoth. And so for them to feel that the tide is on their side and supporting these athletes as they push for social change, I found that really interesting. Well, what I really, really like is that you know, we we are all. I mean, not all of us. Let's let's, let's be clear. There's still a lot of injustice. There's still a lot of uh, um, people being uh, abused and having their rights taken from them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if we want to get in the political spectrum, we see a lot of things being manipulated with the redrawing of district lines to ensure certain you know votes go a certain way. Right. Gerrymandering and all that. Um, you know, the deck is still stacked against a whole lot of people. Right. Um, we're two black guys sitting here, but the deck is stacked against uh, homosexuals. It's stacked against immigrants. It's stacked against women. It's stacked against, you know, transgender. It's stacked against a whole lot of people. Right. Um, the poor, right? No matter what color you are, the poor, you know, across the board get a bad rap and get 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 the the short straw. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what Nike is doing again, like we kind of talked, uh, you know, uh, and, and we've expressed this opinion that companies that are standing up and trying to be there mm -hmm. and 
and and have a voice and say this is what's right for the society that we choose to live in and right. be a part of and encourage and sponsor and motivate i love that they're doing it yeah you know and and again it's you know these athletes they are and again you gotta remember a lot of these folks are are still under 30. right i mean I, i'm not sure exactly how old lebron is but mm-hmm. he's just over 30. just 30, over 30. 33 34 maybe you know what i mean and and, and these 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 young men and women are really putting everything on the line mm-hmm. and that's what we i mean man we we have to do that yeah we've been fortunate and again not everything is great perfect and, and rosy but we haven't had to live in the type of environments that our parents grew up in. Right. Especially here in, 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 in some of the more conservative parts of the country. Um, you know, and unfortunately, I think with kind of the social unrest that we're witnessing right now, mm-hmm. it's kind of time to speak up again. Right. I mean, it's always been time to speak up. Yeah. It's always been time to, to make sure that equal rights are being uh, given to everybody but man it, i love seeing everybody i love seeing like i said apple doing what they are doing mm-hmm. even the the small gestures or the gestures i think they're good gestures that some of the other media platforms like facebook and such did with mm-hmm. some of the uh banning of certain messaging that they didn't find appropriate for their platform um i think it's great um i colin kaepernick i mean this dude has basically sacrificed his his earning potential yeah. by taking the stand and and real quick i just learned this the other day because I knew when he was kneeling, it was for, you know, kind of a protest against police brutality and kind of trying to draw, bring awareness to that mm-hmm. um, with the million, the, not the millions, it feels like millions, but the, the unarmed, you know, African-Americans that are, had been just like consistently being gunned down by police officers. Right. Um, but when he first did it, he was taking a seat on the bench. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a member of the military, I believe, reached out to him and said, hey, that's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, what should I do? And they had a conversation. And they said, whenever there's a fallen soldier or somebody that has, has died, we take a knee. Mm-hmm. Right? And so that's why he came back and decided to take a knee because he didn't want to be disrespectful. Right. But, you know, media and, and, and those that want twist, to twist it for their own, you know, uh, political benefit or, or to, to, or to kind of, you know, spin it their way yeah. will say whatever they want to say. And it's like the dude tried to be as respectful as he could be right. but still bring awareness to this thing. and. You know, media still turned it, and uh, people still, you know, politicized it and, right. and took it all out of context, right? Yeah, I mean, this is really a fascinating kind of multi-year journey that we've been on. To your point, when this whole thing started, Colin Kaepernick did not come out and make a big fuss about what he was doing. It was a silent, peaceful protest where he was just sitting on the bench before a game, and this went on for a few games before the media even noticed it was happening. Right. Then someone asked him specifically, "Why are you doing that?" And that's when he responded with an eloquent, you know, well-researched, well-thought-out message that he was trying to get across. But again, he didn't he didn't tweet about it. He didn't come out to the media and say that. That was something that he was doing for himself. And then to your point, after that, he had the conversation with the military, you know, members, and, and that's when they came up together with a solution that would directly not disrespect the military and say, you know what, I'm going to kneel to bring awareness to this. And then, you know, like you said, it was twisted and, and a lot of the narrative was taken away from him. Yep. And it became about the fact that he was disrespecting the flag or disrespecting the troops, which is just on its face doesn't make any sense, um, given the fact that those are the very values that, you know, we as Americans want to defend, the right to protest peacefully, the right to free speech, 
Um, but the, the actions were, were politicized and ultimately it cost Kaepernick his job um, and, and, and the ability to earn. And so that's where this kind of, these developments over the past few days have been interesting because Colin Kaepernick actually has an endorsement deal with Nike. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been on Nike's roster since 2011, but after the incidents uh, or after the protests and the, the subsequent kind of dust up, he's just been on the bench essentially at Nike for the past two years right. where they try to figure out what to do with them. Yep. Um, and other shoe companies have expressed interest, and that's when Nike was like, okay, there's something here. So again, this is not to say that Nike is not a business and that this is a comp- completely altruistic action that they've taken. They're a company, and what I find really interesting is that the calculus that they did in trying to determine whether or not Colin Kaepernick was worth the risk, whether this campaign was worth the backlash they knew was going to be coming, was the fact that they believe that the majority of people, or at least the majority of Nike consumers, would be on their side. Right. Um, and, and so they were willing to take the hit, uh, if you will, from a certain side of the political spectrum and, and their supporters. Um, in order to kind of make this statement. So these two are hand in hand. There's a profit motive here that is what allowed this action to take place. But that I don't think that subtracts from the message that I don't think that Kaepernick sold out here. I've, I've seen that, you know, well, is he selling out? Is he allowing a, co- a corporation to co-opt his message and make it about the money? I don't believe that to be a case. I believe that when you have Nike taking this stand, this you know, behind Kaepernick, behind Serena, behind LeBron, that that just amplifies the message. Yeah, for sure. I, I saw, you know, on the heels of, of, of that announcement, I went to Nike website and and ended up on their YouTube page, mm-hmm. and, and I was just looking at a lot of the videos that they've done. And, uh, I mean, for 30 years and more, mm-hmm. these guys have never missed, first of all. Right. We're talking design. It's kind of our yeah. passion, our emphasis here. Uh, I, I I mean you know nowadays you always hear Apple, Tesla, mm-hmm. Google, Facebook is like these product and design organizations. But man, you know don't let don't sleep on Nike, right? They've never missed, and I right. mean never. I don't know if Whedon and Kennedy is still their agency. Yeah, record. that's what I was wondering. Yeah, I, I think they are. I mean, um, but man, regardless, they've never missed. And I'll, and I'm going to go back to uh, you know another thing. So number one. Kaepernick is in uh, uh, he has a a, a lawsuit against the NFL Mm -hmm. collusion case yep the collusion case where basically um, you know it's it's basically stating that um, did the NFL uh, owners conspire together to kind of blackball him blacklist him and kind of keep him from earning Mm -hmm. keep him from getting a job and what's interesting is that because of the pressure from Donald Trump um, you know, inserting his opinions into this, this this situation, you know, the 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 underlying uh, driver for those owners is almost they're looking at are the owners doing it to pacify Donald Trump? Right. And there's some you know tapes that I think from an owners meeting where they mm-hmm. kind of were speaking to you know the president's comments and this that and the other. I don't know all the details of it. Yeah. But I'm sure it's out there on the Twitter and uh, and the news and everything. You can find it for yourself. But, you know, that's very fascinating. And again, I don't even knock the president for having a strong opinion about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think he's not looking at it again. He's politicizing it and twisting it as Donald Trump, unfortunately, seems to twist a lot of things and politicize a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't even care if he has that strong of opinion about it. I just, you know, I think it's interesting that the owners are not supporting the 
people that are the very reason why their their franchises are successful. Yeah, it's just fascinating that you're biting the hands that feed you, right. or disrespect slapping the you know slapping the hands that are right. feeding you. Granted, they're all billionaires and they don't need the money probably from their teams, but mm-hmm. it's just like such a such a shame. And then the last thing I'll say on this one, I mean, we can keep going because I think it's a fascinating topic and mm-hmm. we need this. There's layers that we can go go down. Um, but uh, going back to the profit motive, sure, I believe that there is motivation uh, to, to run their business efficiently, effectively, and be relevant and, 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 and siding with the people mm-hmm. and the people specifically because they know use sport to rise above their situations. Right. Here in, uh, I'm on uh, Nike's website, um, because when I was on their YouTube channel, I came across this uh, behind the scenes of equality. And it was a series of commercials that they were shooting with Serena and LeBron and and some other players. Mm -hmm. And here in uh, January 14th, 2018, so at the beginning of this year, um, they they have a a, a blog post here. It says, Nike uses the power of sport to stand up for equality. Mm -hmm. You know, and it says here, uh, I'll read it from, from their website, equality represents Nike's belief that sport brings people together like nothing else. Mm -hmm. Nike has a long history of speaking up for causes that reflect its values. That continues today with equality. Mm -hmm. Nike's ongoing effort to encourage people to take the fairness and respect they see in sport and translate them off the field. Mm -hmm. The equality initiative is centered on using the power of sport to inspire people to take action in their communities with Nike leading by example with its partnerships with world-class organizations dedicated to advancing this work. Mm -hmm. Supporting these values, Equality delivers on the brand's ongoing partnerships with Mentor, the leading national organization in ensuring quality youth mentoring relationships and connecting volunteers to opportunities in their communities, and Peace Players International, a global organization focused on bridging divides in communities by developing youth leaders, building relationships, and changing perceptions to drive change within their community Mm -hmm. and it says that you know nike's been doing this since 2017 and they've donated a bunch of money and done other things and partners with you know a a lot of people you know um, lebron james michael bennett uh ibada muhammad uh megan uh rapino i believe Mm -hmm. she's a soccer player Mm -hmm. um and others so while they are taking this colin kaepernick and kind of this um this opportunity to 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 kind of put him in the spotlight Mm -hmm. Um, they didn't just start this initiative with Colin Kaepernick. Right. It's it's been something that they've been doing for a very long time. Yeah, and I'm glad that you brought up the case um, that Kaepernick has against the NFL because I think this plays into the timing of this, and it gets to again. Weed and Kennedy is the agency of record here. Um, I don't know who's responsible for if, if that was them or their internal creative team or probably some collaboration between the two. Oh yeah. Um, but the timing of all this is fascinating. So um, the arbitrator for the, the collusion case that Kaepernick has against the NFL recently threw out the NFL's attempt to dismiss the case because right. he found that they had provided enough evidence of collusion mm-hmm. to move forward mm-hmm. and try and find more. I don't know that they found the smoking gun, but they found something that's, you know, indicated to the arbitrator at least that this should continue forward. Yep. So that news broke a few days ago. Yep. Um, and then, you know, the NFL season is just about to start. I think the first games are, are on Thursday. Yep. Um, so, you know, Nike chose to do this on Monday, knowing that it was the lead up to the to the games. And the NFL doesn't want the focus to be on Kaepernick, but Nike chose to put the focus on Kaepernick. And there's additional layers there because Nike 
is a key sponsor. I think they're the uniform sponsor for the NFL until like t- 2028. Mm, and so here Ooh, now there's That's heavy. Oh, yeah. They're like, "Hey, we're doing what's right regardless of the consequence." And, and sacrifice they, everything regardless of the consequence. Right. So now they've like now it's not just a little old Kaepernick against the NFL. Now it's Nike against the NFL, and, and you know, the NFL put out a statement, and the, you know they were very equivocating and trying to make it go away. You know they were saying they'd say everything that you'd want them to say in this situation, mm-hmm. but behind closed doors they have to be fuming. Um, of no question that you know Nike would do this right before all the games start. Um, and so I wonder what those conversations. I, I don't. They didn't. They weren't given any advance notice. But there was a principled, I, I believe, stand taken here. Um, Nike is probably paying the NFL a lot of money to sponsor their uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, they've created this endorsement deal for Kaepernick, where he's getting paid, like, or he has the potential to get paid like a top end NFL star. So he's going to have his own branded line, shoes, shirts, jerseys. Uh, Kaepernick apparel so it's a star deal millions per year and there's going to be royalties so obviously Nike believes that and and to your point earlier about the greatness of Nike and their their advertising um, I think there's an argument to be made and I was reading uh, an article earlier today that made the argument that there may be no one better suited to speak to the youth than Nike Um, maybe Nike and Apple and uh Clearly, the, the Nike believes that the youth in this country are aligned with Colin Kaepernick, and so they're going in on that kind of agreement there. Um, so it, it's really, you know, the, the corporate kind of uh, moving there I find interesting. And yeah. then there's also the boldness of the creative team and the people who suggested making this move with Kaepernick internally. Um, that that I kind of want to get to because it it takes some gumption to do this. Um, it's it's easy to stay middle of the road. It's easy to stay with people who are universally popular and respected. Um, even though LeBron has been very outspoken in his politics, I mean he campaigned for Hillary in Ohio. He's still widely popular. He's not a divisive figure. You know, right. he's done nothing wrong in his public uh, life. He's open schools for people he's putting people to co- he's putting people through college all these different things right so it's very well liked and it'd be very easy to stay in that lane of not rocking the boat of not causing a wave but instead they went with this hot you know this hot bed figure uh to make this statement and so i wonder what those creative meetings must have been like well it's um you know again like him or not our president has ushered in a new era of a whole lot of things mm-hmm. And standing flat-footed and boldly declaring what you personally believe is one of those things that he's brought in. Right. So, I mean, he stands up there at the podium and on Twitter and on the news programs and in front of world leaders, and he declares without any shame whatsoever (laughs) what my man believes. Right. You know, and so great. You know, you know. I'm not sure if this is the right way to turn this phrase, but turnaround is fair play, mm-hmm. right? So now everybody else is doing it too, right? And so, if I'm the apples of the world, or if I'm the Nikes, or I'm the Kaepernicks of the world, or the LeBrons, Serenas, whoever, 
I'm going to say what I want to say also. Right. Right. We saw, you know, the, the, the white nationalists have been, you know, doing their their marches and their mm-hmm. protests and their demonstrations. Great. Go for it. And the students and, and other activist groups have been protesting and, and voicing their opinions. Mm-hmm. Great. You know, we have it's, you know, uh, primary season and everybody's kind of kind of laying out their their platform. Mm-hmm. We just saw, you know, um, you know, an amazing tribute to John McCain over the last, you know, week. Mm-hmm. Um, and people were very clear. Um, and even, you know, the McCain family seemed to really use his passing as an opportunity to divide those, or I'm sorry, to unify those that had, you know, previously maybe been divided mm-hmm. and uh, really put their stake in the ground on what they believe to be, yeah. um, you know, priority for them. So I think it's absolutely fantastic that, that everybody is being bold and standing for what they believe in. Mm-hmm. You know, I hope that we can all uh, keep it civilized and, 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 you know, not do anything stupid, but that's what America is, right? Right. It's the land of the free and the home of the brave, freedom of speech and all that jazz. So we have to go out there and, 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 and put your stake in the ground. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, you and I, the people listening to this podcast, um, you have to stand for what you believe in. Yeah. You know, and, you know, there's there's an old scripture. Oh, back in the <laughs> old Bible days. But, you know, uh, in the Bible, God makes a statement. He says, hey, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're lukewarm, I'll, I, I'd spew, spew you out of my mouth. And I, I've always really liked that. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, either be for it or against it. Mm-hmm. If there's middle ground, I hope the only time you're in the middle <clears throat> is when you're really trying to understand a, a topic mm-hmm. and you're trying to bring people together on something. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of complex issues that we have to deal with in our world. Um, and, and, and more and more things are coming out from underneath the covers and out of the closet. And, and all these taboo subjects are becoming very, uh, they're, 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 they're staring you in the face these days. Yeah. And you got to deal with them, yeah. you know. But real quick, I want to go back to the Nike thing. And I was, uh, I was going through my news feed and I came across uh, Bloomberg uh, news and they were talking about you know um, the 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 financial impact mm-hmm. of all this and they were saying that Nike you know stock uh, slipped about three points today um, you know and 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 but 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 on the flip side the company says here uh, a, a senior analyst at Oppenheimer told Bloomberg uh, that that the company saw more than forty three million dollars in media exposure today I'm sorry that was according to Apex Marketing Group mm-hmm. um, forty three million dollars in media exposure today right you know that's i mean you know we talk about you know i wonder what the deal is that that kaepernick is getting out of that Mm -hmm. you know um it's amazing it's amazing what this is how how much light how much exposure this is getting right and what's 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 sad about all this stuff and again somebody's got to be the one but like you said kaepernick wasn't trying to make it about him right he was just peacefully protesting inside himself and with himself, you know, publicly for sure. Mm-hmm. And then other people started getting into it. And think about all the other hundreds of, of players or, or, you know, uh, tens and, 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 and probably hundreds of players that protested mm-hmm. as well. And, and some of the teams, they linked arms to protest in a different way. They didn't take the knee, but they were equally protesting with mm-hmm. their arms united in solidarity with their brothers. But they said, we're not going to kneel, but we're going to lock arms. Mm-hmm. They were protesting. And... But the spotlight is only on Kaepernick. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, back to your point about the media exposure, I, I saw something similar 
um, and Matt Powell, who's a sports industry analyst for NPD Group, uh, tweeted, old angry white guys are not a core demographic for Nike. Um, <laughs> so uh, so uh, according to NPD Group via Bloomberg, okay. uh, mm. around 67% of Nike's customer base is younger than 35, mm. and it's a group more ethnically diverse than average. So mm. I think that they got a, a, a wide view of the data that would impact their business, and they decided to jump. Yeah, They definitely jumped, and having an understanding of who your demographics are before you leap, that doesn't make you dump, that doesn't make you a coward, that doesn't make you just be glomming on to social movements. That's just yeah. good business. Yeah, and, um, and again, looking at all the things that they have done, you know, I, I, I encourage you guys to go to their YouTube channel and look at some of the ads that they've run. Yeah. There, there's a great one with, uh, I, think they, I think they were in Brazil, mm-hmm. and they were all, there was a crazy traffic jam, and all these girls jumped out of the car and started running, and there was another woman running in her running shoes, and, mm-hmm. and then you know, traffic was blocked off by male construction workers, and a female boxer came in and kind of smashed the uh, wrecking <laughs> ball. You know? So it's like they're empowering women in these other countries. Mm-hmm. And, so it's like it's far from the first time they've taken a stand, and I think that it's a uh, it's a it's a it's another calculated move, but I don't think it's a surprising move for Nike. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference between being calculated and being like a vulture, right? Yeah, uh, I think, and and I think this definitely falls on the right side of that. So, again, it's it's really interesting. I think that there's more to come from this. Yep. Um, the most interesting aspect of this that I wish I had more information on is kind of the the corporate posturing of like your your uniform sponsor doing this thing and bringing this kind of thorn in your side to the national prominence again. Yeah. Um, I hope that they continue to focus on the reason that Kaepernick protested, yes. which was, you know, against police brutality um, and mass incarceration. And so I hope they find a way to uh, sh- shed a spotlight on that message as they continue um, moving forward with, with the rest of this Kaepernick stuff. I only own one NFL jersey, and that's a Kaepernick jersey. Mm. Um, Look at you. I, I bought that after all this stuff happened. But I, th- I think we discussed that in one of those, yeah. uh, the, one of the lost tapes. Oh, that's the, right. Of the, that early, the early, early colored by design days. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's for so investors it's, only. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to see things come back around. Well, and and the last thing that you know we'll say before we move on to the next subject is, um, I think that, you know. History seems to favor the bold, mm-hmm. and I think Kaepernick and Nike will be on the right side of history in the long term, much like Muhammad Ali was back in the day against the Vietnam War. Yeah, and uh, you know the Black Panthers were against the injustices that were going on. Yeah, um, in, in in back in the day, um, you know, and all the other people that have been fighting for civil rights all these years, John F. Kennedy, you know, uh, uh, Malcolm X, and you know Martin Luther King, you know. Uh, everybody, right? Uh, there, there's been a lot of people in history that have been fighting for the rights of people, mm-hmm. not only people of color, but for all people. And you know, the struggle continues, which is sad that we got to fight for the rights of just each other, neighbors. Yeah, it's crazy, man. You know, it's really uh, that's a beautiful uh, point, and I think it's poignant. Um, at one point, I was going back and I was reading some of the newspaper clippings mm. from the time that Martin Luther King was active. And the things that they were saying, not to equate the two, but the things that they were saying then 
you know, they sound so similar to the things that are being said now about these athletes. Oh, um, you know, history would have you think, and that's, you know, that's what history does. Yep. Um, it paints a clear kind of winner and loser, and, you know, you lose a lot of that nuance. But history would have you think that Martin Luther King came in and was universally embraced. He was the most unpopular man in America for a, a large portion of his life, and he was assa- assassinated. Right. Uh, well, people forget that as well, right? Because right. he w- Ooh, his message crazy. was so not divisive, but so many people were not willing to hear what he was saying. Um, it was divisive for the time, and, 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 and divisiveness is from a point of view, right? Right to you and I, and to other people, black, white, of all, you know, you name it. Mm-hmm. Those that believe that yes, this is right. Oh, it's not divisive at all, right? For the people that disagree with that point of view, it's completely divisive. Yeah, you know, so. But you said something that you forget that he was assassinated mm-hmm. because I have a dream and all these positive things and all that. That's become his legacy. Right. Fortunately, it overshadows, unfortunately, the way he was he was he was gunned down. Right. But it's it's interesting that, yeah, you do kind of I don't say people forget entirely, but it's definitely, you know, second or third. Right. Behind, you know, what he stood for and the things that he said and what he is remembered for, which is pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, to bring it yeah. to the workplace, um, it's it's just a reminder that progress isn't cheap. Um, no. You know, and, and whatever issues you may be facing or, you know, this is a podcast that focuses on diversity and inclusion, and that's certainly not perfect. In the majority of workplaces, um, it's closer in some than in others. But it can be very easy to feel uh, disillusioned by the environment that you find yourself in on a day in and day out basis. Um, and I think it's just good to remember that progress has a price and it can be slow and painful, but you need to continue to fight um, and you know believe that one day you will create the environment that you want that you want to work in. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's transition from that. And a hard right turn. Here. Oh, man, <laughs> hard right. Um, but it's a beautiful thing, man. We always, I mean, we got to keep it real. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. It was a good, 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 good conversation. Um, you know, we have this, uh, you know, this the couple concepts out here. As, as designers, you know, one of our goals is to help mature, um, you know, a new breed of creative as, as you come into this workplace and mm-hmm. you, you look at the world and, 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 and knowing kind of what the job is before you and how you can best fit in and, 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 and really add value to the, to your, to, to the, to the process. Mm-hmm. And we have this concept here that we mentioned at the top of the show talking about growth hacking versus the art of the craft. Right. And, um, you know, throughout the week we always come across, you know, various conversations that we have with other, um, you know, designers or things we see in our, in our day-to-day work life. And we like to, you know, kind of, kind of mold over the week and, and bring up topics that kind of stood out for us. And this mm-hmm. was an interesting one. Um, you know, when you're, when, you're, when you're looking at growth hacking, and I'll let you explain growth hacking versus the art of the craft. I think um, in a nutshell, it's kind of the things you do to get success in business mm-hmm. versus the craft that you might practice and, 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 uh, on, on a day-to-day as designers. Yeah. You know? So I think generally as young designers, as we're going through school, um, we're focused on mastering our craft. So we want to ensure that all of our designs are pixel perfect and that, you know, 
we get the ligatures between our, our letter forms just right and that our type spacing is just perfect and our kerning is to the pixel Ooh, and the X height is, is, is right and we might want to manipulate those Ooh. like, you know, oh, I want to create my own custom typeface for this design project that I have, right? Um, let, me, really let me pause you there. On. If you guys don't know what X height is and kerning and ligatures, please go do a little study. <laughs> all right, carry on. Right, and, and again, all of those things are very important. Um, mastery of the craft is, is I don't want to say it's table stakes because it takes time to become a master of anything. Uh, and you will always be improving and learning and growing as a designer. But it is something that you should care very much about. But when you get into this business world, there are other things that become equally as important or more important even than the craft of the thing that you're designing. Uh, you might have other outcomes that you're looking for that are different than creating a pixel perfect execution of something. And let me hold on that. You just you just probably I think we I think that was divisive to some people <laughs> what you just said. That was sacrilegious. Because I think that um, and again, here's where I want everybody to broaden, you know, put on your put on your put on your uh, your business hat for a second. Mm -hmm. uh, broaden your horizon. And remember that design is not the only part of the business ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And you are in the business. You're in a commercial business. Mm -hmm. The difference between art and design is business, right? Sure, art is a business, but art, I can create whatever, and if people choose to compensate me for that, or I just choose to hang it and, and, and observe it and post it and publish it, that's my prerogative. Mm -hmm. But as soon as somebody engages you for the exchange of uh, equity, stock, cash, time, benefits, whatever, you have now entered into a commercial, you know, a commercial agreement with somebody to execute towards their goals. Mm -hmm. Could be the goals of a person that you might be freelancing for, could be the goals of your uh, your uncle who's starting a car washing business and he yeah. wants you to design a logo for him. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't matter what it is, you have engaged in a commercial practice. And now, just like if I'm a doctor, as a doctor, I can choose to practice medicine however I want. Mm -hmm. But when customers come in or when patients come in, I have an oath that I have to try to heal, not heal them, provide them a certain level of care mm -hmm. um, and, 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 and help them with whatever's ailing them. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know the Hippocratic Oath, so therefore I'm not even going to go down that road. <laughs> but do no harm. Do no harm. That sounds good. You know, so when you're a designer and you're working, there's goals and objectives that your work should be aligning to. Mm -hmm. um, and to Jesse's comment, I always say this, you know, everybody that I've ever worked with, they got hired because they had some skills. Mm -hmm. Were they masters of the craft? Not entirely, again, because we never stop learning, we never stop perfecting, we never stop, you know, getting better and better. Mm -hmm. But they had the skills. It were, they, were, it, it, they were table stakes to getting a job. Mm -hmm. Once you got a job, I really don't care what you're expert at, what you're proficient at. Whatever the job requires today, this week, this month, this sprint, this campaign, this season, right. this year, this decade, that's what I need you to evolve into, focus on, and help us deliver. Right. You know? Yeah, and so there is a concept in business, um, which is, you know, fail fast. And um, design can sometimes be in the way of failing fast. Um, when we are so hyper-focused on pixel perfection. Again, that's not to say that it's not important, 
but you have to balance that pixel perfect outcome with the speed outcome. What are you trying to accomplish when you're doing this design execution? Are you trying to get to the market as quickly as you can and learn something from real customers versus doing months and months of research and iteration and research uh, internally? Um, and if your goal is to get something out the door as quickly as you can without being embarrassed by what you put out, but to get something out as quickly as you can in order to learn something, then you have to be oriented towards that and optimize for speed over perfection. And I think coming and working in a, in a, in a software company and a, and a product environment, that was one of the lessons that I had to learn early on. Right. Because coming from an agency environment, the focus is pixel perfection. For example, if you ever get the uh, blessed opportunity to work with developers and, 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 and front-end engineers um, and coders in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. Hollywood area, these guys and gals are the best developers for designers mm -hmm. because they're working for movie studios, they're working for Disney, they're right. working for all these big Hollywood brands. They have to be exact. Right. There's no room. If the designer or the agency, the ad agency puts it on your desk or puts it in your charge to bring it to life in a digital context, you have to nail it, no exceptions. Right. So I was working on a project and I had to hire a guy and you know, this is when we started, you know, being able to kind of have remote workers, didn't matter where you were, you mm -hmm. know, didn't have to be in your, your city or whatever. And I happened to stumble across this amazing uh, uh, developer out of LA and man, I couldn't believe it. He sent back a, a, an app, we were working on an app. He sent back an app to me and I literally was like, I couldn't tell that this was coded. It, <laughs> you was, thought it was your comp. I really did. Yeah. It was like, wow. Now and and so just recently I was at a uh, at a, a, a dinner um, a design leadership dinner again another one of these Envision ones mm -hmm. shout out to Envision um, these are really actually been really good conversations mm -hmm. different I went to one in Austin and they had one here in Dallas so I kind of went to that recently and it was two completely different topics so mm -hmm. Envision's doing a really great job of hosting these discussion series um, but in the in the in the meeting there was a gentleman there and he was talking about he has uh, two people he called them Ben and Ken and. Uh, Ben's a really strong designer. Ken was a really great developer. And, uh, you know, um, apparently the developer was one of these guys that was pixel perfect. Mm -hmm. And Ben was a really great designer. And he said that, you know, they're working on a project and, and, you know, the designs weren't coming out as great as they usually would have. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he went to, 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 to talk to him and, and, uh, you know, the conversation basically boiled down to, well, it doesn't need to be as pixel perfect because we're pushing it out there trying to, you know, get people to join and, 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 and you know, we're, we're, we're able to, you know, monetize it in a, in a way that's working for us right now. Mm -hmm. So the pixel perfection isn't necessarily, you know, relevant right now. And, I, mm -hmm. you know, he, he was like, wow, that had to broaden my scope as, a, as, as the leader of this, you know, organization right. to say, wow, maybe it doesn't need e -E -E to be pixel perfect all the time, mm -hmm. you know? And I thought that was very telling and very interesting because like, yeah, it's doing its job. Right. And its job was it had a very specific set of goals and it was meeting and exceeding those goals. Right. So then the design of the thing didn't have to be as amazing. And that's where he said we all agreed that we wouldn't put anything out that embarrassed us. Right. But we would definitely make sure we tried to find a balance between the, the design amazingness and the pixel perfect execution and find that middle ground where it's like, hey, this is serving our customers very well. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're here to do, serve our customers, serve our clients, serve our companies. 
uh, serve your uncle in his car wash very well, right? To drive business. Um, so I thought that was very fascinating. Yeah. And, you know, you said something that was really interesting a few years ago when we were working on um, wanting to redesign a number of the products at the company that we worked for together, mm-hmm. where you, you made it clear to us, hey, look, these guys are making millions of dollars without us. And the software looked terrible. And, you know, so what is the real goal of the design of this thing or the redesign of this thing? We can't change it in such a way that makes less money. And we have to be able to communicate value when they're already making a ton of money. You know, how do you do that? And and there was another kind of example where uh, I was reading an article where people were, someone was talking about what does good design mean? Hmm. You, you have to, in some instances, broaden your scope. We might think of pixel perfection and really beautiful large format images and cool micro interactions and parallax scrolling mm-hmm. and really nice hover effects as being indicative of good design. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those, for example, I know that we can have debates over each of those elements individually right. and whether or not they constitute good design. Right. But uh, when you look at Craigslist, Mm-hmm. What is Craigslist supposed to accomplish? And is that good design? Yeah. Um, I think for a lot of people on its face, we'd be like, no, it's not. Right. But it is that way for a specific reason, and it's doing its job. Amazingly well. And don't think that they haven't had, I mean, how many, if you got a design job to go work at Craigslist, yeah. wow, that would be tough for a more traditional type of graphic visual design type person. Yeah. Now for a true experienced designer mm-hmm. who is truly having 100% empathy with the customer and solving for workflows and different, you know, use cases and such, yeah. it might be perfectly fine. Yeah. You know, so um, you re- and you said something that's very very key. You have to broaden your definition of design. Right. I hadn't had to broaden my definition of design for a very long time, but in the last five years, uh, I thought I had a pretty broad definition of it, but I've had to broaden it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and that's, that's, that's definitely huge. And go back to um, the example that you, you laid out about you know, a few years ago and we're like, hey, you know, the company's making millions with, with products that don't look as, as delightful as we might want. Mm-hmm. Um, here's something else that I've really been embracing over the last five years is that uh, take your tool of choice, take your app of choice, take your application of choice, whether that's Excel or it's your, your, your Spotify app or it's your version of Sketch or, or you know whatever. Imagine if you came to work or you came into your classroom or you came on and grabbed your phone or jumped on your computer to go search for whatever it is you usually search for or provide you know, whatever function or start you know, executing on whatever function you typically would execute. Mm-hmm. And it was completely different. Yeah, the the we've all had it happen to us. Yeah, right when iTunes came out and they changed their music player, or when you get a new piece of software from Adobe and they've changed the the quick keys, they don't do what they used to do, mm-hmm. and and you know uh, you know you name it, it's it's quite frustrating. Right, and there were designers and product managers and engineers and business rationale that justified making those changes for some reason. Yeah. And to those of us that have to come to work each day, and some people have to make their money off of these software solutions, they walk in, and now when they're checking people into their gym Mm -hmm. or they're getting people in through triage at a hospital, 
and you change the interface because right. you say, oh, I just want these buttons to be X, Y, Z, or I just want this, you know, a little bit more white space in here. I want to change the color from, you know, yellow to a light gray. Mm -hmm. That can be completely disruptive to the people who you're supposed to be serving. Right. And so, you know, you know, we kind of say, you know, growth hacking versus versus the, the, the art of the craft. And it's like you really have to understand that you're providing a service. Mm -hmm to people that have come to trust and depend on you to run their business. Imagine if the people that you design for are the people that cut your paycheck every two weeks. Mm -hmm. And you're the, the, the brilliant designer that says, oh, I'm going to change some stuff around here. Right. And they go in on that Tuesday to process your paychecks for that Friday so you can go out and go on. And they can't manage the workflow that you redesigned, right. that you refactored. And now your check doesn't get to you on time. Because <laughs> that's the real re – and they're doing it for how many hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people across the country. Right. And around the world. And you're the brilliant designer that said, but look how awesome it looks. Mm -hmm. Look how much pain you could have caused with that one little – talk about doctors doing no harm. Yeah. Bro, we can do a ton of harm. Yeah. So I have to remind the designers, yo, yo, hold on, hold on, hold on. Trust me, it pains the artisan in me to say this. Leave that sorry-ass button design layout <laughs> exactly where it is because that's not what we're here to impact right now. Right. We're here to change, making it easier for them to check out, make it easier for them to sign up, make it easier for them to find their data, make it easier for them to run this report. I know it's killing me too, but leave that nasty design exactly <laughs> the way it is. It's, it's it's painful. Yeah. Oh, it's painful. It's the worst. Yeah. The worst. And and I think you know just to re reiterate for our audience, we both love the craft and oh, yeah. the practice of design and what you can accomplish and what you can create. I think, you know, for people who are just entering the industry, it's just we're hoping to provide a little bit of that perspective that the business has on the things that you're creating because often we'll be sitting with other designers in our design pod, maybe on our design half of a floor or mm -hmm. floor. Yep. And we can get really caught up in making design decisions. We love to do that. We love to have critique and get in the weeds and talk about X, Y, and Z. And sometimes we can lose the forest for the trees and we need to remember to step back sometimes and look and say, what am I really trying to impact here? What does good design look like in this use case for this scenario, and how do I get to that? Yeah, and and I'll just share one other uh, example of something like you know an instance that happened recently is that you know there's a team that that I'm familiar with that was asked to work on updating a corporate guideline. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, and they uh, you know the the uh, C level executives kind of put this initiative down and said, hey, we need to do these things for our brand, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Great, that's awesome. Hey, hallelujah. Um, then the VPs and the, and the directors got a hold of it and said, hey, here's what we need to go execute on. Here's the plan. Here's the strategy. Here's how it's going to benefit us. Great. Everybody's in agreement. Yeah. And then we get down to some of the folks that are um, asked to participate in helping to execute on it. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a miscommunication there. And, like, the, the people that were asked to participate kind of got a little bit, uh, you know, busy with other work so they couldn't prioritize as much as they might have wanted. But right. they also got caught in – uh, the 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 theory of it all, mm -hmm. the uh, the study of it all, 
the amazing examples that are around the world and, and, and all these great examples, and there are great stuff out there, but mm-hmm. it, it didn't get back to an actual work product output, a deliverable. Right. And, um, you know, so it's, it's like you got to be, you know, so there you have like, you know, five tiers of the company all pontificating and strategizing and thinking about and theorizing about what this amazing thing could be, mm-hmm. but nobody actually putting the rubber to the road and, and doing some work. Right. Because again, right, we gotta we gotta get this out. We got some growth to hack, mm-hmm. um, and so you have to be careful that you don't just get caught spinning your wheels and 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 you know get out of the office, do some work, get on your computer, start cranking it out, work up some prototypes. I hate it when people get upset with you know any designer or any team member that has a different process that you might have. Right. Some people do amazing work in PowerPoint and, and Excel and running you know whiteboard scenarios and post-it notes and all that that's great that's your process yeah other people say hey you know what i got the core idea let me sketch out some things i'm gonna jump on my computer and start mocking things up and put it in a little prototype so i can click through and see if this starts to make sense for me and so we all work differently right and it's cool that you all work differently embrace that difference but just know we're all charging for the hopefully we're all charging for the same goal right you know, so be clear on the goals, be clear on the timelines, and be clear on what it takes for you to get some answers to your questions, and hopefully they're being clear on what it takes for them to get answers to their questions too. Yeah, and I think that brings up a great point about engaging the right people at the right time. So there are different people that you need to speak with when you're at the very beginning stages of an idea. Right. You know you want to do something, you might not know how to do it, you might not even know what specifically you want to do. Um, but there are a few number of people that are really instrumental in helping you kind of solidify that idea and bring it down out of the ether and into reality to start helping you narrow down possible use cases. Oh, I think I might want to do X, Y, or maybe Z. And they can offer you uh, different perspectives that are useful to helping you sharpen that idea. Totally. And I think, you know, as we see you know, design thinking being brought into corporations and you always have brainstorming sessions and, you know, cross-functional collaboration across teams and, and different initiatives being put forth. You know, I, 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 was, I was telling Jesse earlier when we were kind of discussing this topic, you know, there's time and place to bring in certain groups of people. Right. Um, you know, I, I might not bring in you know, uh, one group on one initiative. Let's say we let's say we have a, a, a an A plus team that just mm-hmm. man just knocked this 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 brainstorming session out of the park and really got down to the nitty gritty and solved some really cool problems around a you know a, a, a naming strategy, mm-hmm. naming architecture. Awesome. And then we might have another one where it is maybe a uh, an information architecture. Mm-hmm. I might not bring in the same people. Right. Right. I'm going to try to find the experts and those that are proficient in helping the slice and dice that type of information and give insights into that way of thinking. Yeah. And then we might have another problem where we're trying to solve a, uh, you know, I don't know, some other type of issue. Mm-hmm. I might bring a different group of people together. Yeah. Hell, I might not even be included in that group. You yeah. know what I mean? I might not be part of the group. They might say, hey, Corwin, you're not good with this stuff. <laughs> we got some other people that are better. Yeah. But it is, you have to engage the right people at the right time. And while I think it is very healthy to have, a, going back to diversity, mm-hmm. a diverse group of ideas at the table, some protagonists, some uh, people that are on your side thinking the same, some people that complete, think completely differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do think that you, you need to have a whole host of different types of people. For example, I went to lunch the other day with a, a member of our support team, mm-hmm. and we were talking about brand strategy for a specific market segment. Mm-hmm. 
and I wanted to talk to somebody else other than the product people, the marketing people, the sales people. I'm like, no, let me talk to somebody who has to deal with the customer complaints on the ground every day. Right. And man, I thought we were going to talk about stuff for about 10, 15 minutes and get into some concept exploration and ideation. Mm-hmm. No, it this this particular individual opened up the treasure trove of like, here are all the real problems that people have. Right. And I was like, holy moly, we spent an hour <laughs> on that. Yeah. And I was like, wow, let me have a beverage. Yeah. And, you know, we'll get back to it later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it was very, very fascinating. Very fascinating. You got to get different perspectives. Yeah. And, you know, some people are more comfortable working at, uh, people are comfortable at different levels of fidelity. I think as designers, we grasp, we grasp this in our design processes where we will maybe work with a, a closer, a tighter team of designers when we're at a really low level of fidelity because it requires a, a bigger leap to get to understanding what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And as you get to increasingly higher levels of fidelity, you might be comfortable with um, widening your audience and, and sharing it with more and more people. And, and this is the same um, even in the, in the early stages of a process uh, from a product perspective and not just design perspective. You don't want to bring in the super technical, highly specific, you, well, not say you don't want to, you might not want to engage people who are um, problem solving too early in the process when you're still ideating and you're still trying to figure out what is this thing in particular. The problem solvers are very important and you want them involved in the process at some point. But again, it's all about sequencing. Sometimes I don't need you to Huge. solve my problem here. I just need you to help me build on my idea yes. and add, oh, what about this? Or, oh, what about that? And then as that idea solidifies, okay, now I'm going to engage with some other members of the business. Okay, now I'm ready to someone shoot a hole in this or shoot all the holes in this Yes, because I know you will and that's what I want Yes, at this stage of the process. That's right. I love it. You, you, I mean, I, you, 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 you nailed it. I mean, I learned that there are, when you're brainstorming, you're there to brainstorm. That's where all the stupid ideas can come out. That's Mm -hmm. when all the dumb, goofy, corny, funny makes no sense why you just said a clown suit would be a great solution right now. Yeah doesn't matter let it ride because that clown suit comment might spark an idea that's going to get me going in a different direction other than the status quo stuff that we all spew out the first 10 or 15 minutes of a brainstorming mm-hmm. then let's get down to the problem solving you, you dude you said it perfect i'm just bolting on to what you said absolutely you, you you nailed it no doubt about it no doubt about it yeah. I always enjoy our discussions. Yeah. No, please. No, man, you're good. Yeah, I love this stuff. Love this stuff. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date with all things Colored by Design, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor.fm. And if you enjoyed listening, please leave us a positive rating on your platform of choice. We really do appreciate it.